This is the Ardella Training Podcast, episode number 69. Welcome to the Ardella Training Podcast, the podcast dedicated to forging athletic bodies around the world. ArdellaTraining.com is the no BS authority in kettlebell and barbell training for today's athlete, coach, and fitness enthusiast. Get strong, build muscle, and forge an athletic body with your host, the scientist of strength, Scott Ardella. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Scott and welcome to this week's show. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here. And in this week's episode, you're going to hear from Will Fleming, who is a sports performance coach and fellow podcaster. And we had a great uh, talk about how he trains for explosiveness and strength with his athletes. And he has a lot of great insight in this interview session. So stick around and listen all the way through to, uh, Learn and hear from Will and his great uh, experience in strength and performance training. So before we get into this episode, as always, if you could, if you like the show, please review the show, the Ardella Training Podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. It's really easy to do and it'll only take a minute of your time and I would greatly, greatly appreciate it if you like the show. And secondly, if you haven't downloaded the brand new Kettlebell Impact Report at Ardella Training, make sure that you go and grab that now. You can get that right now at ardellatraining.com forward slash join. Again, that's ardellatraining.com forward slash join. And in that report is 12 um, of my favorite Kettlebell Training sessions. So um, a new report. Uh, that has uh, some really great um, explosive kettlebell training workouts in it, uh, single and double kettlebell workouts. So uh, check that out if you don't have it already. And finally, just wanted to let you know that the new podcast is coming. So stay tuned soon, and I will have the announcement for when that show goes live. Again, the new podcast is definitely uh, on the way. So stay tuned for the announcement coming soon. All right, let's dive into this week's uh, show as I interview with uh, Will Fleming. Let me tell you about Will before we get started here. Will Fleming is a sports performance coach and expert on being a more explosive athlete. His expertise comes from many years of training and coaching athletes in multiple sports. His athletes are routinely the most explosive, fastest, and strongest on the field. Will is the co-owner of Force Fitness in Bloomington, Indiana. Prior to being a business owner, he was an Olympic trials participant as an All-American athlete and the school record holder at Indiana University as a hammer thrower. Will was a resident athlete at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs for Olympic weightlifting after winning a junior national championship in the same event. So I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Uh, Again, we get right to it in this rapid fire interview session. So let's listen in and uh, talk with Will Fleming and hear his approach to athletic performance and explosive training. (music) 
All right. Joining me now is performance coach and fellow podcaster, Will Fleming. Will, thanks for joining me today, and let's make this a great interview session. And we're going to jump right into things, as there's a lot I hope we can cover in the time we have. So first, can you tell listeners that aren't familiar with you about your background as a performance coach? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. But um, my uh, my background as, as a performance coach really started... Uh, I, I always knew I wanted to get into coaching and, and I was a track and field athlete in college. So I actually thought I would be a track coach. And so I had done, um, you know, I'd coached youth track athletes and high school track athletes all throughout college, uh, through a local track club. And then ultimately ended up coaching at the division one level at Indiana university for a year. And, um, just decided that the college, uh, atmosphere wasn't wasn't for me and I wanted to, uh, wanted to be my own boss. So I decided to branch out and start my own business where I could, uh, you know, train athletes for performance and, and adults for their peak performance as well. Um, and did started doing that about six years ago. Um, and so since then, you know, I've, uh, trained high school, college and pro athletes, uh, even quite a few middle school athletes as they prepare for high school, um, at a facility called Force Fitness in Bloomington, Indiana. So um, been doing that for six years, had some really great success, you know, obviously with athletes accomplishing things, um, athletes at, at um, the three major pro sports in the U.S. Um, so, you know, I've had some really good success, but, um, you know, just still trying to do it every single day and help, help those younger athletes get to where they want to be and, and continue to help the older athletes as well. Nice. Now, what do you focus in on as far as your performance training? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably most well known as an Olympic lifting guy. Um, and so we do a lot of Olympic lifts with athletes that can do it. Um, we really focus in on developing more power for our athletes, um, in in all planes of motion. So, you know, developing power through the Olympic lifts, through medicine ball throws, through plyometrics and, and through, uh, you know, their sprinting ability and whatnot. And so, you know, that's, that's where we've really focused and, and helped athletes see improvement, um, primarily in their ability to transfer power from, you know, the weight room into their, their everyday performance. Now, do you exclusively work with athletes or do you work with a general population as well? We have a, we have a pretty large group of general population. So our business is, is probably divided in half between adults and athletes. Okay. Um, I prefer to work with the athletes. I mean, I just, I just find working with athletes to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I have some really great coaches who work with me who are excellent trainers of, of adults. Um, but I oversee all the, all the programming and all the coaching within, within my facility. Uh, but I primarily do my work with the athletes in the gym. All right. Now with the general population, I'm just curious, um, do most of your general population clients, are they doing Olympic weightlifting as well? Well, it, it's all, it's all based on, you know, progression and, and regression. Um, so a lot of, uh, a lot of our more advanced adults are progressing towards doing some variation of an Olympic lift, um, if it fits within their goals. And so, you know, a lot of adult goals, um, are more along the lines of uh, body composition, uh, you know, hypertrophy or, or fat loss. And so, uh, in that sense, a lot of times, you know, the Olympic lifts aren't the, the perfect tool for them, but when we get an adult that is, uh, interested in their own performance, whether that be in triathlon, um, you know, adult weightlifting, adult powerlifting, whatever, you know, certainly we'll use the Olympic lifts to some extent to help them achieve those goals. Um, but in most cases, uh, as, as, an, as an adult progresses, we'll start with the basic fundamental movement patterns that maybe we're going 
we'll really think about, you know, a push pull squat and hinge and really build out on those. And at some point, you know, they're going to be uh, so advanced and have done so many things that Olympic lifts present a new challenge and a new thing for them to do uh, that can help them achieve even those, uh, those body composition goals. So in that sense, we will ultimately do some Olympic lifting, but it's not, you know, the set goal to start with that, you know, all of our adults will end up doing the Olympic lifts. Okay. All right. So you talked about, um, you know, identifying the goal and then identifying some basic movement patterns. How do you assess, um, athletes and the general population, whether they are a good candidate for weightlifting or not? Right. So, we're, I mean, we would probably be uh, considered like an FMS gym. Okay. Uh, everybody in the facility is is certified in functional movement systems and the functional movement screen, yes. uh, so that they can they can I look at movement patterns and identify whether or not someone is capable of doing certain things. So, you know, obviously the clearest one is in the active straight leg raise test, which is, you know, part of the uh, functional movement screen, you know, uh, someone who might be a two, one asymmetry or a one, one, uh, meaning they don't have good movement in that active straight leg raise, they would be disqualified from doing something like a hip hinge or a deadlift. Right. Right. Um, our big money test for, uh, Olympic weightlifting is more along the lines of like the trunk stability push up. So if they can't, if they can't show good trunk stability in that push up pattern, then we're going to, we're going to disqualify them from weightlifting because under that dynamic load, we're going to see them have some difficulties performing the Olympic lift. So, um, you know, that's one of our tests. Obviously, shoulder mobility, uh, assessing shoulder mobility is going to be a piece of that puzzle, uh, ass- assessing their ability to gain, like, uh, their deep squat position and a functional movement screen will also give us some more information to that puzzle. So we use, you know, we use a combination of information from the functional movement tests uh, to to give us that, um, that bigger picture of whether or not someone is capable of doing the Olympic list when they start. Certainly if they're not, we're going to go, um, we're going to try to, we're going to try to improve those patterns so that they are capable and particularly the athletes, um, for the adults, you know, we're going to, we're going to use progressions and regressions to, um, to, uh, find the right things to get them towards their goals, even without the capability to do, you know, an active straight leg raise to a two, two or something like that. Right. So that, that's awesome. I mean, cause that's, you know, again, I really agree with that philosophy of, you know, assessing mobility, stability, um, basic movement patterns before we do anything, you know, loading up athletes or non-athletes with any type of, um, you know, advanced movement pattern like Olympic weightlifting, for example, in general terms, what are the biggest benefits as you see it in all of your experience with Olympic weightlifting? What, what do people get from the Olympic lifts? Gosh, you know, I mean, for our athletes, the number one benefit is probably that force production, but also the kind of overlooked benefit is a force absorption of receiving the bar at their chest or overhead. So certainly that violent, you know, and and rapid hip extension uh, translates well to a lot of different tasks in athletics, such as jumping and sprinting, um, tackling, obviously cutting in, in different sports. So we see a lot of carryover in the force production side of things, but we also see a lot of carryover in the force absorption. So receiving a bar at the chest or, or overhead is going to be similar to landing from a jump or decelerating and sprinting or decelerating and change of direction maneuver. And so, um, those benefits are, are really helpful for the athletes. For adults, the, the, you know, maximum uh, motor unit recruitment that's required for, um, Olympic lifting. So, you know, moving heavier weights at a fast, uh, fast rate, is going to require a higher motor unit recruitment. And so, 
um, we're going to be we're going to be tapping into those uh, bigger muscle fibers, uh, bigger you know higher threshold uh, motor units that that maybe they don't get to do um, you know in their day to day activities. So in terms of hypertrophy goals or um, or you know body composition change, that that is a nice benefit. Obviously, it's not the primary benefit, you know, but it is a nice benefit for those adults that are looking to do Olympic lifts. Nice. Now there's different styles of Olympic weightlifting, you know, Russian, American, and then different variations within those. Um, how, how would you describe your style of coaching and and Olympic weightlifting? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the big, the big things when it comes to the style of Olympic weightlifting, uh, and in particular, we're talking about the programming that might be involved in Olympic weightlifting. So, um, you know, a Russian programming, and they both mostly come from nations that have been the most successful in Olympic weightlifting at the Olympic level. So the Russians obviously were super successful throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even today, those those Eastern Bloc countries have been very successful. Um, and their programming was more along the lines of establishing technique with uh, a broad number of exercises. So, um, you know, different types of squats, uh, different variations of the, uh, the Olympic lifts. So different variations of the clean and the snatch, um, from different starting positions, different ending positions, um, you know, just technical pieces. And so they had a, a very broad range of movements and usually loaded at, um, sub maximal levels. So, you know, 85% and below. So they would count, you know, any rep between 70% and 85% as a working rep. So that that's the Russian style. The other popular style is like a Bulgarian approach. And the Bulgarians, you know, obviously a, a much smaller nation than Russia, but um, came to prominence by winning uh, almost every Olympic medal at, I think, 1972 or 19, I think 1972 Olympics. And it was, it was a complete surprise to the Russian nation. And, um, and, and the idea was that at the Bulgarian system, they had determined that they were going to focus only on the competition list. So only the full snatch and the full clean and jerk and, and the front squat and back squat. So instead of having this broad number of lifts, they were going to focus on, you know, four lifts or even five lifts. Um, if you include some power variations, like a power clean or a power snatch. And, and they were able to do that by training at maximal intensities almost every single day. So um, I think that in terms of most people, uh, that Bulgarian approach was was definitely aided by uh, performance-enhancing drugs and and a state-run system of Olympic weightlifting so they could select as many athletes as possible and see who could survive. And in the United States, obviously, we don't have those we don't have those advantage, advantages or or opportunities to cheat with performance-enhancing drugs. So I think that a, a more appropriate system would be something similar to a Russian system where we have a broad number of exercises at sub-maximal intensities um, and, and a long-term approach to developing a good weightlifter, right? right. Um, and if you're just using Olympic weightlifting in general, I would, I would spend most of your time um, doing sub-maximal weights um, for you know, two to five reps or something like that. Um, I would spend minimal time focusing on maxing out and hitting the highest number, you know, the highest weight you could possibly hit. So, uh, you know, a more Americanized approach would be, you know, periodically placing maximal intensity weights in there, um, uh, while spending most of your time doing submaximal weights 
in uh, a diverse set of, of exercises to work on parts of the lift. So hang cleans and uh, hang full cleans, hang power cleans, power jerks, um, split jerks, power snatches, uh, snatch pulls, you know, all these different variations of lifts um, at submaximal intensities uh, so that we develop a, a sound technique. And then ultimately, if you have a sound technique, the point where I'm at right now with my training is, you know, I, I feel more comfortable with my technique. Developing it with through submaximal intensities isn't as important to me. So I will more often than I used to go up to maximal intensity weights because I'm preparing for competition. Well, I want to ask you, what do you think on average? Now, I know this is really going to vary depending on the individual, of course. But on average, what would you say is the typical learning curve to be proficient with the Olympic lifts? Well, so proficiency and mastery, right, would be the kind of the two terms that we would think about. And mastery is is a, a very long-term process. I've right. been doing Olympic lifts since I was uh, 15 years old. I'm, I'm 32 now, so, um, and I don't feel like I've even come close to mastering it. But, right. it, you know, that's the case <laughs> with, with any pursuit like that, chess or, or playing the piano or whatever. Right. So um, mastery comes much later. In terms of proficiency, you know, that can be... Um, in the way we teach the Olympic lifts in our in our gym, um, I feel like, uh, you know, I can have an athlete come in on the first day and I can go through my progressions and get them doing a, a competent and semi-proficient um, hang power clean in day one or even a hang full clean or a hang, you know, hang power snatch or hang full snatch. So, you know, just starting the bar from the hip or the knee and moving under it and receiving it in a good position. Now, certainly these are light loads. These are uh, variations of the lifts. Um, but on day one, they can be proficient. So, you know, that's the power of having, you know, a good coach with a, a good fundamental, you know, teaching progression. So, you know, obviously day one, <clears throat> week one even, we could have, we could have athletes, um, you, know, doing, you know, doing a variation of the full lifts to a, to a level of proficiency that you'd feel pretty comfortable with. Um, and then from there, it's just developing and continuing to develop the technique while also increasing the intensity. So, you know, and that, that's when the long, the long haul begins. And, and we may have, you know, we're having athletes who are, you know, who've been with us for three or four years and they're doing the Olympic lifts. And certainly they would look better than, you know, 95% of people doing them. So, you know, they're definitely proficient. Yeah. But we're working on technique every single day, and we're working on on developing that. But I, I, you know, I would just say that, you know, one day, two days uh, of intense work, um, we could definitely see an athlete feel really proficient and comfortable with the lifts and doing them safely, and doing them uh, in a manner that they can get great benefit from. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think you mentioned the key thing there, and that is getting good coaching. Because with good yeah. coaching, you can really accelerate that and get get proficient right out of the gate. And then the mastery, like you said, is such a long-term process. I mean, that's just a continuous journey all the time. So, yeah. So, well, I want to go back to something you said earlier. So you mentioned uh, two to five reps for the Olympic lifts in basic uh, programming. So I'm curious your thoughts on high rep Olympic uh, lifting. Oh gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> um, high rep Olympic lifting, yeah. um, you know, we do, Pri the primary load of our work between two and five reps, and I would really say that we do the, the majority of that uh, grouping between two and four reps. You know, five reps is, is, um, is pretty difficult, and we'll do it maybe once every, 
oh gosh, every 12 weeks or every 16 weeks, we'll put in, we'll put in five reps in the Olympic lifts. So, um, you know, the majority of our time is spent at that 75 to 85 or 90% mark doing between two and four reps. Um, and you know, and then we'll venture out of that and do maximal lifts and, we rarely venture past five reps at all unless we're doing some sort of complex where maybe it's three power cleans and three front squats and three jerks or something like that. And then right. we, would, we would totally say that's nine reps, but really it's only three reps of, of each individual movement. Um, so you, can, you could probably say that I don't feel good about high rep Olympic lifting work. Um, but obviously in, in uh, something like CrossFit, um, you will see that quite often. And what I always want want people to keep in mind is that they'll see guys, um, who, you know, who are CrossFit games athletes or champion CrossFit athletes where, who are doing, you know, 30 reps of snatches in, you know, a minute or something like that. And I want you, you know, most people should keep in mind that most of these people have, you know, maxes in the snatch around 300 pounds or so. So, and the weight that they're doing is maybe 95 pounds or 135 pounds. So it's, you know, uh, 33% to, you know, 45% of their one rep max. And so, um, so, you know, at those levels, the strain is not there, but, you know, for someone who is a new Olympic lifter, a new CrossFitter, and they come in and their, you know, snatch PR is hundred pounds or 150 pounds or even 200 pounds that presents, um, a much higher load and done over 30 reps is obviously, uh, something that could result in, in something pretty dangerous, you know, some, really bad technical breakdowns. And even me, you know, I've gotten a, uh, you know, I've gotten urged and goaded into, you know, tr- attempting something like that, you know, attempting, they'd say, you know, I've been told, Hey, you should try that. You should try whatever the name of the workout is right. and, and see, you know, I have a, I have a max in the snatch of over 300 pounds. So I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And it just, you know, it's just a totally different thing. It's no longer Olympic weightlifting it is uh, movements that resemble Olympic weightlifting. So yeah. um, I, I just I would urge most most people to stay away from it. Obviously, if you're a competitive CrossFit athlete, at some point you're going to have to do it. Um, yeah. And at that point, you just have to um, you have to really resist the urge of letting your technique uh, turn to slop and and instead really focus in on on doing everything as efficient as possible or as as efficient as possible and as technically proficient as possible. Excellent. So Olympic weightlifting obviously is becoming much more popular these days with the um, growth of CrossFit. Uh, I'm curious, what what do you think are the biggest misconceptions, maybe fears, reservations about Olympic weightlifting? You know, I would say that, um, you know, uh, the idea that it is, it is, um, you know, uh, difficult, right? Or it, it is hard. Uh, and it is dangerous. And, and somebody posted this on my Twitter p- uh, page and I can't remember who it was, but they said, uh, you know, brain surgery is difficult. Olympic lifting is not dry. Uh, drinking and driving is dangerous. Olympic lifting is not, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, they're on a continuum. If you don't know what you're doing and you load up a max weight and you try and lift it any way you try and lift it is a bad idea. Right. right. So, um, whether that's a deadlift, a squat, you know, a cleaner snatch. So, um, Olympic lifting with, without, um, without knowledge of how to do it and at loads that you're not comfortable lifting, that's going to be a, uh, you know, that's going to be a silly pursuit. Um, the difficult part, they're hard to teach. 
You know, I, I just know that in our facility, we have, we have no difficulty teaching 13-year-old girls and, and boys how to Olympic lift and do so uh, proficiently in one day. So, you know, I, I just don't, I don't pay much attention to people who say that they're difficult to teach because I know that they're not. You just haven't spent time learning a good system for teaching the Olympic lifts. And in terms of da- the dangerous part, you know, most research that's done on Olympic lifting um, shows that it's no more dangerous than any other physical activity and it's much less dangerous than most, um, you know, sports that are popular, uh, popular in the United States. So, you know, that, that argument doesn't hold as much water to me anymore. So, um, and in fact, there's, you know, a pretty great study that was done. Um, and I, I wish I could, I could cite it offhand, but, um, it looked at Olympic weightlifters at the Olympic training center in, in the United States. Uh, and it was over six years and, you know, there were no back injuries just besides muscle strain. So there's no, you know, uh, there's no cases of spondylolysis or, you know, um, fractures or anything like that. There were no, um, you know, traumatic knee injuries, just things like, um, you know, tendonitis and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, these, these areas that you might commonly be concerned, um, these athletes were not showing those kind of injuries, uh, or any sort of, you know, traumatic injuries, just, you know, minor overuse injuries. And those are athletes that were, that you would expect overuse injuries where they, you know, lift two times a day, six days a week. So, um, in terms of, of danger, I don't think that Olympic lifting is particularly dangerous unless you're doing it irresponsibly. And in terms of being difficult to teach, I just don't think, I think that if that's your argument, um, you haven't taken the time to learn a good system of teaching the lifts. Yeah. So I think it all comes back to good coaching and, and, and learning as well. Yeah, I mean, of course. Only and that was, that was one of the, one of the things they mentioned in the study was, you know, the, the two things, uh, to prevent injury, was uh, good coaching and good technique. Yeah. So, yeah. Is there uh, a most common mistake or two that uh, you typically have seen in getting started? Yeah. So, you know, w- one thing for me is just like, um, you know, we teach, we teach the lifts from the hang position. So, you know, starting from the hip or the knee and, and then completing it overhead if it's a snatch or at the chest and, and the clean. And so one mistake that I've seen a lot is, just automatically defaulting to teaching someone how to lift from a floor start position. So, you know, if we're, you know, instead of doing a clean from the hang, we would do a clean from the floor or something like that. So an actual clean. And so I, uh, I, there's some athletes that just don't have the mobility, uh, either at the hip or at the ankle to, to let that happen. So rather than, um, just assuming we should start from the floor, I, I think that people should try to start from the hang and, assess the mobility of the athlete to, um, to ultimately bring them down to the floor. So if they don't have that hip mobility or they don't have that ankle mobility to start with, then just go ahead and and work on the mobility while developing their strength and power from a hang start position. Well, I'm just curious, do you, do you typically start from the hang or from the power position? Well, okay. So, um, I guess we should talk about our, our language here. Um, (laughs) Because uh, it can get kind of confusing, which is is a frustrating part. But, you know, anything that would be – so uh, power should refer to the way that we finish the lift, right? So um, 
the way we say is like clean. If I just say clean, that means start from the floor and finish in a full squat and stand up. If I just say snatch, it means start from the ground um, and finish in a full snatch or in a full squat position with the bar overhead. Um, if I say power, that would mean receive the bar uh, above, you know, a full squat position. So, you know, above a half squat. Um, so, you know, a power clean would then mean start from the floor, finish above a, a full squat position. And then, so in my language, I'd say like a power clean from the hang means that we start, you know, from the hang means we're going to start above the ground. So we're holding the bar at the knee or the hip, um, and then finish above a full squat position. And then, so like if I said a, a hang clean that, or a clean from the hang, that would mean start, you know, with the bar at the knee or the hip and then finish in a full squat position. Okay. That make more sense. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it's the same. I think the terminology is just a little bit different, and maybe yeah, that exactly. just goes to and some I, of the. I get confused sometimes when I say it. Like yeah. <laughs> I'll write it the wrong way and be like, "That's not what I meant." So right. I apologize if I was, you know, throwing lingo out there as opposed to being clear. Yeah, no, no problem. And I think it goes to you know different coaches probably use the terms a little bit differently. Yeah, um, yeah. So. I'm just curious who who have been your mentors in weightlifting. Yeah. So I, you know, it's interesting. I started in Olympic weightlifting when I was 15 years old and I started because I had heard the best football players in my town worked out at one particular gym. And so I went over and asked if I could, you know, become a member and I found out it was a weightlifting club and they say, we do Olympic weightlifting and, you know, here's what you got to do. You got to, you know, you're committing to do a competition every, you know, three months or whatever. And I said, you know, sign me up. I just heard the best football players are here. I'll do it. And it just so happened that the coaches, uh, the guys who were coaching me in that gym, one had been an Olympian in 1992 and the other went on to become the president of the USA weightlifting. So, uh, so I ended up in a gym that had, you know, two national level, international level coaches, both of them, you know, coached the U.S. men's national team at one point or, or another, either an international competition or as a resident coach uh, at the United States Olympic Training Center. So I ended up, you know, with these amazing coaches. And so those first two guys were uh, Frank Exton and, and Paul Fleschler. And Paul is still coaching weightlifters out in Colorado uh, at his own facility. And, and so I, I learned from two really great coaches. Um, you know, after I got, when I got into college, my strength coach, he had also been an Olympic weightlifter as a guy named Jeff Eliason, who was an awesome, you know, awesome, awesome coach, um, a national level Olympic weightlifter. So I was always around these really good Olympic weightlifting minds. So, um, those were my, my first and earliest influences. And, you know, you could imagine that if I had walked into, you know, if I had heard that these football players were great and I walked into a bodybuilding gym, you know, you'd, I'd be on your podcast talking about bicep development as opposed to, <laughs> you know, as opposed to Olympic weightlifting. Right. So, right, right. um, so it's just, you know, really good fortune. I didn't set out to learn Olympic lifts. I just set out to become a better football player. And in the process, you know, learned from some really great guys. And then, you know, uh, probably, um, more recently I've been influenced by Robert Dos Remedios, uh, who's, you know, strength coach out in uh, California. Yes. He's helped me a lot with my development, you know, like as a coach of athletes and not just as of weightlifters. Um, there's a guy locally that I would turn to a guy named Grant Gardis that is uh, a really good weight, like a uh, youth weightlifting coach. So we talk a lot, you know, I, I think a little bit more about, you know, the high performance development of Olympic weightlifting. He talks about, 
you know, developing young athletes. So he works a lot with like middle school athletes and getting them prepared for high school. And so we talk about long-term athletic development uh, approaches and whatnot. So, you know, I've, I've been really fortunate to be surrounded by, you know, um, smart coaches, but also interesting coaches. Like all of them uh, are, you know, Grant Gardas, he was a professional wrestler who went by the name of Rufus Blackbone. So I don't know if I've ever called him Grant Gardas. I've I just, uh, I call him Rufus. And so, you know, just interesting people that hold my, hold my attention and, yeah. and, you know, uh, allow me to have good conversation with them who don't tell me things. They talk with me about things. So, yeah. um, you know, just been really, really fortunate to have mentors like that. Awesome. Well, I wanted to ask that because, um, all coaches need coaches, you know, and I was oh, just curious who, who were your influences and still your influences in your you know, training and performance. So now listen, I know we're only have, we're running uh, low on time here. So I, there's a couple of questions I do want to get to before we uh, wrap up. Now I stumbled onto your website maybe a year or so ago. And if, if I remember, um, you're, you're a big reader and you'd written an article about uh, strength training books. So I, I, I love reading books. I'm, I'm always collecting new books. So I'm wondering if you could throw out a couple of, of your favorite strength training books as, uh, references for listeners. Yeah, of course. So, you know, if, if we're thinking about Olympic weightlifting to start with, um, that's, you know, been our topic so far. Um, yeah. I would recommend any of the Russian manuals. So there's these, there are these Russian manuals that originally, uh, written in Russian in the 60s, 70s and 80s, and they've been translated into English by a guy named, uh, Bud Charnega. And, um, uh, one is called a system for multi-year development of weightlifters. And the other is called a program for multi-year development of weightlifters. And they're originally by, um, uh, Andre or Alexei Medvedev, who is, uh, the Soviet union's national team coach. And so if you are into Olympic weightlifting, those are, those are two things you should definitely have in your arsenal of books to read. Um, in terms of, you know, other books, one of the first ones, uh, that influenced me, that's really easy to read is power training by Robert Dos Remedios. Uh, and he wrote that, you know, it was really to a general pop audience, but it's very, very appropriate when it comes to the programming that you might use for, for an athlete. Um, so I, I think that's an excellent book to check out. And then recently, just as a kind of a more, uh, scientific book that we've, I've been looking at. Um, and, and I should say recently, cause I just started reading it last week, but I've yeah. already found that my interest is, is peaked with it, yeah. uh, is called strength, um, strength training, biological, pers- uh, perspectives and practical applications. And I think that's by Marco, uh, Cardinal. Um, and it's like, it's textbooky, um, but, uh, just reviewing a lot of the physiology, but also the practical applications of, uh, strength training and conditioning and all that kind of stuff. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll, um, see if I can find links for all these books and I'll attach those in the show notes for this episode. Um, I'll try my best to do that anyway. Yeah. So, um, you have a podcast as well. Do you want to, do you want to mention that? Yeah, of course. So, um, with my mentor, Robert Dos Remedios, uh, I started a podcast called the performance podcast. And, uh, I think we talk about a lot of the similar topics that, that you talk about, you know, performance training, but fitness in general and, you know, performance training for the athlete, performance training for, um, you know, for adults. And um, we have interviews with, with other great coaches, but we also just have conversations. So, if, you know, something piques the interest of Coach Dose and I, um, you know, we hit record and, and run through the show. And, you know, you'll see a, a pretty raw conversation um, where we're almost, you know, just going through our thought processes as we develop 
you know, more concrete ideas and, and thoughts about certain things. And, you know, we've talked about everything from Olympic lifts to, um, you know, responsible use of social media and stuff like that in the fitness world. So, um, you know, it's just been a lot of fun. We've, we've had a really good reception so far. Um, and we publish every, we publish a short episode every Monday and Wednesday, uh, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. Awesome. And I have checked it out and, uh, I, t- I'll tell you, I, r- I really do enjoy it. It's been a great show from what I've heard. So, uh, you guys are definitely doing great work. Where can people find you online? Will? yeah. So, uh, they can definitely listen on the performance podcast. Um, my website is willfleming.com and that's will with one L because my real uh, name is Wilson. Um, so will with one L and, um, as I've been starting the uh, podcast, I, done a poor job of updating my website recently, but, uh, from my website, you can reach out to me, uh, if people are interested in more, you know, talking more about Olympic lifting or coaching in Olympic lifting. Um, and they can find all my social media over there as well. And I'm really active on Instagram, Twitter, um, and Facebook where I, you know, and all of those are Will Fleming with one L. Excellent. And again, I'll have a link for that in the show notes as well. Everything that we talked about today will be in the show notes for this episode. And the big question as we wrap up here, and this is the question I love to ask every person I interview, and that is, what's the big action, the one action that the listener can walk away with right now and apply after listening to this interview? Gosh, you know, I I think the, you know, the thing that I would say is, is if you're interested in Olympic lifting, find a good coach to to get you kickstarted and you don't have to have a coach every day in the gym with you. Um, but you know, at least have someone who kickstarts you, uh, in the right direction with Olympic lifting technique or even programming. And we talked about mentors and influences and, you know, I've been, I've been doing Olympic lifting for a long time and I, I have a, you know, I have national level lifters that I coach, but even I have a guy, have a, a friend who writes my own, uh, writes my programs for me because it's just so helpful to have someone else, you know, even take a look at the videos or write your program or, you know, just help you along that path. So if you're interested in Olympic lifting, uh, find someone qualified in your area or nationally who will look at your videos, who will, you know, help kick off what you want to do with Olympic lifts. Excellent. Great advice. And uh, this has been fantastic. I hope our listeners got value from it, and maybe we'll do this again uh, down the line. So, Will Fleming, thanks so much for joining me today. This, is, uh, this has been awesome, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Scott. You got it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Will Fleming. Will is a great guy, very genuine, very knowledgeable, as you heard in the interview. And I hope that you got value from this podcast session It was very interesting because there are definitely some different definitions of the power position that you heard in our discussion, but I think that no matter what, the concepts, the progressions, and the end results are the same. I learned the power position definition to be a little bit different, but again, I think the the end result is absolutely the same. So a couple of big actions from the interview are find a good coach. I think that's really what it all comes down to and certainly something that we talk about a lot here on the podcast. Finding a good coach is really, really critical for all of us to take our training to that next level, to train as safe as possible, and to accelerate our results. Finding a good coach definitely does require due diligence on our part and some research, but it's well worth the time spent because you heard Will's definition of proficiency that you can be proficient in as soon as a day with Olympic 
lifting if you have the right coach. And then on the other hand, mastery is just this continuous process that we all go down. And that's one of the main reasons that I love kettlebell and barbell training specifically is because I feel like those two tools are something that I will continue to always improve and refine and go down that path of mastery with. So that's really why I have decided to focus the majority of my training with those two tools. Certainly I do other things. There's no question about that. But I think looking down the line, it's those two tools that I really want to focus in on. And for the reasons mentioned, I think it's allows us to always refine our skills and develop our techniques and really move towards this goal of mastery. And that's what I really like about the two tools. So that does it for this episode. Again, please take action with the information. Think about one thing that you can use and apply right now from this interview session and apply in your training. And as I wrap up, I just want to share a quick resource. This is the show sponsor again, which is Audible Audiobooks. Audiobooks, remember, is a great way to maximize your learning. So if you don't have your free trial, you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash train and get a free 30-day trial of audiobooks. Again, audibletrial.com forward slash train to get a free 30-day trial. So that does it, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week on the Ardella Training Podcast. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening to the Ardella Training Podcast. Go to ardellatraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts. Get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast.